Hey guys, it's Ellie, and welcome to Minute Mysteries. You're in the right place. It may not seem like it's been very long for you, but for me, I have not recorded in two weeks, which, yeah. <laughs> so I've mentioned this in my past handful of episodes. I've been in Europe for the past two weeks, and uh, the short answer is I had a lot of fun. It was great. Um, the week before I left, I recorded and edited and, like, uploaded six episodes. I usually do two episodes a week, so that was insane, and I, honestly, the challenge was great, and the fact that I was able to do it felt pretty cool. Anyway, so if you've never been here before, welcome to the podcast. I hope you stick around, and I hope that you enjoy, because we're in for some interesting things. So let me tell you what's going to happen. So I have this book that is called Minute Mysteries. It's by H.A. Ripley. It is full of short little logic puzzles to test your deduction skills and things like that. It's a lot of fun. We're generally given scenarios and we have to find out what's wrong with it. Like usually we're given a story and we need to find a contradiction. That's generally how it goes. And oh my gosh, they're so fun. (laughs) And after I read the logic puzzle, I do three of them, by the way, I try and figure it out I try and solve it and once I have my solution or once I'm just straight up out of ideas which happens a lot then we read the solution together and we are sad (laughs) because dude these things are hard and actually I think I can't remember whether it was last week or the week before but recently I got three out of three correct which is very rare I've only done that like two or three times in all these episodes so yeah (laughs) we'll see how I do this week I don't think I'm gonna do well but you never know so anyways With no more waffle, let's jump right in. Rapid Transit I was beating along the Boston Post Road about 50 miles an hour when I looks around and sees this bird standing on the tailgate fumbling with a lock on the doors. I stopped as fast as I could, jumped out, and ran around to the back. This mug had hopped off with an armful of furs and climbed into a car that was following. His partner even took a shot at me said Sullivan, whom Professor Fordney was questioning. He must have been a very good judge. He took only the best you carried, commented Fordney. Yeah, guess he was. Furstulin is a big racket these days. Why didn't you report it at the next town instead of waiting until you got back to the office? Well, I thought that the boss wouldn't want it to get out that the furs of his wealthy customers had been pinched. He's awful particular about us using our heads. Where was your helper? Just after I started out, he said he was feeling sick, so I told him to go on home. Fifty miles an hour is excessive speed for that truck, isn't it? Asked Fordney, examining the all-steel doors of the massive, dust-proof moving van. (laughs) She's big, but she'll do even better than that. Always wear those gloves when you're working? Always, laughed the driver. Have to keep my hands dainty, you know. (laughs) I thought so, retorted Fordney, continuing his close examination of the doors. Come on, Sullivan. Take me for a ride in that truck. I know you're lying. How did the professor know? Ah, so we have a a pretended story of robbery. These aren't too uncommon, but the solutions are always uncommon. Usually my way of finding a solution is to kind of summarize what I just read, and it kind of helps me keep my thoughts together and keep in mind what I need to remember to find out the solution. So to summarize, this guy claims that he was going along a road in his truck about 50 miles an hour. And while he's driving, he looks in the rearview mirror, and someone is standing on his tailgate, in a moving car, by the way, which is crazy, and he stole furs out of the back of his car, and then he was able to escape and jump off into a car that was following the truck and, you know, run off with all these furs. So, (laughs) remember, this is from, like, 1920. So, 50 miles an hour is fast for a car. 
Cars in the 1920s were not exactly to the same level as the Teslas that we have today, so 50 miles an hour is pretty, pretty gnarly. So to continue the story, this guy who stole the first from the back of the truck, he jumped into his escape car, basically, and his partner, who I'm assuming is the driver of the car, actually took a shot at Sullivan, who's the driver of the truck, who was stolen from, supposedly, even though he's lying. And then Fortney asks Sullivan a few uh, questions. He asks him why he didn't report in the next town, and Sullivan is like, well, the boss wouldn't want, you know, it to get out and stuff like that. His next question was, where was your helper? Because this truck driver was supposed to have an assistant, apparently. But apparently he was feeling sick, so he wasn't there. Let's see, another few details that I find, that's basically the end of the story, but there's a few more details. Like, Fordney describes the truck as all steel, massive, and dustproof. So, yeah. Also, the driver, Sullivan, wears gloves for some reason, so I, that might be important. You never know. Seriously, there are so many details in these stories that might be important and also might not be important. You know, it's, it's really impossible to tell. So really, all I got right now is the fact that I mentioned before that the truck is described as dustproof, and yet the driver still wears gloves to quote-unquote keep his hands dainty, uh, which is a fun way to describe it. But if it's dustproof, first of all, what does that even mean? <laughs> dustproof? <laughs> like, how, how, how do you make something dustproof? I'm sure there's a way to do it, but like on a car? So who knows? I don't know, man. It might be a clue. It might just be me being stupid. Which is a very common occurrence on this podcast, as I'm sure you know. Bro, wait up. <laughs> the way he describes the escape of the robber... Remember, the robber is standing on the tailgate of his truck, who is going 50 miles an hour. And then the robber jumps off into another car. But the way he describes it is, quote, This mug had dropped off with an armful of furs and climbed into a car that was following. You can't exactly just hop off a truck moving at 50 miles an hour and then casually climb into a car that was following along. Like, what? <laughs> it would make sense if he jumped directly into it. If the car was right next to the truck, then he could just jump right in and he'd be fine. But this describes it as he hopped off and then climbed into the car. So if it was going at 50 miles an hour, he would not have been able to just take that landing. He would have rolled or stumbled or something, you know? Like, I feel like that shouldn't work. Maybe I'm just doing physics wrong, but, you know, that that's wrong, right? Like, you wouldn't be able to just jump off a moving truck and then just stand. <laughs> so anyways, that's, uh, I don't know if that's a solution, but that's going to be my solution. Because I don't have another solution, so here we are. Let's read it and find out if we were right. The driver could not possibly have seen from the front seat anyone standing on the tailgate of the big van. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, usually with logic puzzles that I get wrong, the solution is either close to what I had or close to what I was thinking, or it's just so clever that I wouldn't have gotten it anyway. But this one is just so stupid and obvious, I feel so dumb. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, jeez. Okay, well, <clears throat> the way I imagined it was that, like, the robber was standing kind of, like, to the side of the tailgate, like, he was kind of hanging off. So that's why he could see him in his rear view mirror. But, nope. It wasn't described that way, it was just the tailgate, which is behind the van. Mmm, I'm stupid. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Let's move on to the next one, shall we? <laughs> the professor is disappointed. What'll I do, professor? implored Vi Cargo, as Fordney examined the ground beneath her bedroom window. 
7 a.m., a fine time to start looking for a thief. Why couldn't women be more careful of their jewelry? I was restless all night, said Vi, as Fordney knelt beside a deep impression of a man's right shoe. By Jove, I thought we'd found one of your stones, he said, pointing to a leaf in the footprint. Look at the sunlight glistening on those raindrops. It was the shower that awakened me around six, chattered Vi. It only lasted about fifteen minutes. I dozed off again and awakened with a start just as a man jumped to the ground from my bedroom window. Was that just before you came for me? Yes. And are you alone, Vi? Yes, the servants are in the country. Then why did you have all your jewels in the house? I'd warn them to Mrs. Day Forrest's party. Do you know anyone who smokes this brand? Asked Fordney, picking up from the ground an unsmoked cigarette of English manufacture. Yes, Mr. Nelson, who brought me home last night. However, I threw that one there. The thief chiseled open this window directly under your bedroom. I wondered how we got in. The doors were all locked. Come, my dear, don't you think you've treated the old professor rather shabbily? You woman, I know your jewels are heavily insured, and I also know of your bridge debts. Who helped you fake this robbery? Nelson? Where is the clue? Ah, faked robbery. Whew! Spicy. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I don't have a ready answer. I didn't notice anything while I was reading, so let's summarize what I read. Let's see, so the quote-unquote victim, who is not actually a victim, uh, is named Vi Cargo, or it's spelled V-I, so I just decided to pronounce it Vi. It might be V, I don't know, man. But anyways, <laughs> she's all worried about her missing jewels, because yes, and Fordney was in her room examining the ground beneath her bedroom window at 7am. <laughs> and that's why he's grumpy, because he was like, Ugh, why couldn't women be more careful with their jewelry? It's 7am, I don't want to be looking for jewelry thief, bah! <laughs> uh, but yeah. So... Vi continues her story as Fordney is kind of looking around her room. She says that she was restless all night. Just as Vi says that she was restless all night, that night that she was quote-unquote stolen from, Fordney found a deep impression of a man's right shoe, and underneath it was a wet leaf, and for a second he thought it was one of the jewels that she was missing, but it wasn't because it was just wet and catching the light. <laughs> oh man, dude, Fordney was so tired at 7am. Why? <laughs> He was just like, oh man, dude, I swear that was a jewel, and it's just like a wet leaf. Like, oh yeah, dude, leaves are totally jewels. Yeah, mm hmm go get some sleep. <laughs> so next she talks about being woken up by a shower around 6, and it only lasts about 15 minutes, and then later she dozed off again, and was, you know, startled awake by a dude who jumped to the ground from her bedroom window. So that means he was leaving her room after, quote-unquote, having stolen her things. And then right after, she called for Fordney, and then, you know, we're kind of up to date. And also, as per an answer to Fordney's question, we find out that Vi was alone, and that all the servants were in the country. And let's stop there, because I, I just noticed something. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but she says, quote, It was the shower that awakened me around 6, and only lasted about 15 minutes. And then she dozed off again later. But then literally, like, a paragraph later, she says that she's alone, and that the servants are in the country. So, am I misunderstanding it? Or did she just hear someone showering in her house and not question the fact that there was someone else in her house? Like, <laughs> am I misreading it? Because I might be misreading it as, like, she got up to shower around 6 and then fell back asleep. But I don't think that's true because it literally says, it was the shower that awakened me. So, 
that's just so weird that she'd be like, oh yeah, I was woken up by a shower at six, and then like two seconds later she's like, oh yeah, I was alone in the house. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're just not gonna question that someone's showering in your empty house? Alright, cool, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah. Editing Ellie here, don't mind the sound quality, but like, I am just now understanding that what they probably meant was a rain shower and not a person literally showering in her house. So disregard everything I said, but I kept it in because I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, so the question that they ask at the end is, where's the clue? And my answer is that the clue is that she wasn't concerned that someone was showering in her supposedly empty house. So let's read the solution and find out if I was right. Fordney pointed to the raindrops glistening on a leaf in the shoe impression. According to Vicargo's statement, the burglar had jumped from her window after it had stopped raining. Okay, okay, this was one of the ones that was clever enough that I probably wouldn't have gotten it anyway, so I don't feel so stupid. But still, I made like an entire joke about the raindrops on the leaf and how tired Fordney was because he thought it was a jewel. And that was the answer all along. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. Okay, well, I will take that L. That is a very clever answer and I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, this is sad. <laughs> Uh, anyways, let's move on to the last one, and maybe we might get one right this week. <laughs> a Dramatic Triumph A clock softly chimed 8.45 as Professor Fortney and Halloway, dramatic critic of the Times, finished their after-dinner coffee. They strolled leisurely to the corner and reached the Belmont just in time for the curtain. As the first act ended, Fortney remarked enthusiastically, Halloway, it's magnificent. Boswell is certainly our finest dramatic actor. How he held that audience for 45 minutes from the moment the curtain arose. That's genius. The final curtain found him even more enthusiastic in his praise of Boswell's acting. Learning next morning of the actor's murder, he became personally interested. Sybil Mortimer had been questioned by the police and quickly dismissed. Her alibi appeared sound. She had an engagement with Boswell last evening, but said he telephoned her shortly after nine breaking it, so the police concerned themselves with his reason for doing so. A taxi driver, who drove Boswell and another man from the theater, dropped them at 5th Avenue and 65th Street at midnight. His description of the man checked with that of Jenks, Boswell's manager, who was missing. It was learned that his reason for breaking the engagement with Sybil was to discuss a new contract with Jenks, about which there had been considerable disagreement. A charred piece of the contract was found in the actor's fireplace, in front of which he lay. Jenks's cane and a vanity case monogrammed SM were also found in the room. Acquainted with the facts by Sergeant Reynolds, Fortney replied, I'm afraid you've overlooked a valuable clue. What was it? Hmm, this is a really vague question, because the only clue that we get is that we're overlooking a valuable clue somewhere. Most of these logic puzzles are just like, where's the hole in this story? Or like, prove that she was the actual murderer. But this one is just like, there's a clue somewhere. I don't know what it is, but find it. <laughs> oh, that's handy. But anyways, this is a very, very detailed story. It's very, um, has several characters, and it's got a lot of information. So I'm going to try and sum it up, as I usually do. So, obviously, Professor Fortney and Halloway, who is a critic for The Times, went to a 9 o'clock showing of a play that was starring Boswell, the actor who eventually would be murdered. He was alive at the end of the first act, and he was also alive at the end of the entire show. So, yeah. <laughs> Basically, what that establishes is that he was alive the night before at about 9 to whenever the show ended, which if it was a play as today, then it would have been three hours. So it would have been until 11. 
No, midnight. I'm stupid. <laughs> so yeah, basically what that establishes is that he was alive at 9 and then throughout the show. So that means he was killed after the show, which we basically already knew, but cool. So here's where it gets interesting. The next morning, Boswell, the actor of the show that they watched the night before, was murdered. And Sybil Mortimer, who apparently had had an engagement with the actor that night, like the night he died, he was questioned and she was dismissed because her alibi said that the actor Boswell had telephoned and said, oh, let's not meet up. And then she didn't meet up. So basically they released Sybil Mortimer because, you know, she hadn't met with him. <laughs> so then we learned that a taxi driver who drove Boswell and his manager from the theater to 5th and 65th Street at midnight, so he was still alive at midnight, his reason for breaking the engagement with Sybil that we mentioned before was so that he could meet with Jenks instead to talk about a new contract, apparently, which was heavily disagreed over. And the contract that Jenks and Boswell were going to go talk about was found charred in the fireplace in front of which the dead actor lay, <laughs> which is very dramatic. So we can assume that his death had to do with the contract and with Jenks and whether or not Jenks is the murderer doesn't really matter because we're just trying to find a missing clue. So in that room that the actor was found dead in, which included the fireplace with the burned up contract, there was also Jenks's cane and a vanity case monogrammed SM, which we can assume belongs to Sybil Mortimer, who we mentioned first, who was the one that had the engagement with the actor that was broken off. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> I swear this all makes sense. But basically that's all we have. Like, we need to find out where there's a hole. I don't know. <laughs> like, you tell me. I mean, something has got to be missing because, you know, they say there's something missing, but I don't know what's missing. <laughs> like, So Boswell, the night before, starred in a play, right? And if it's a play like today's plays, which are three hours long, that means that the play ended at midnight. So if the taxi driver who drove Boswell and his manager to a certain street corner at midnight, like he would still be finishing the show at midnight. Like, he wouldn't be able to be in a taxi by midnight unless they ended, like, super early. And, of course, all this is assuming that the play that he was in was three hours long, which, I mean, it could not be. I don't know. <laughs> but my assumption is that the play is three hours long and that he would still be finishing the play at midnight, so he wouldn't be able to be in that taxi with, um, with Jenks, his manager, who... I'm assuming is the murderer because there was a contested contract between them involved and stuff like that. Anyways, so that's my solution, I guess. Like the times don't line up and he shouldn't have been able to be in a taxi at midnight. Anyways, let's read the solution because other than that, I'm out of ideas. Sybil Mortimer said Boswell had telephoned her shortly after nine. As he was on the stage continuously for 45 minutes after the curtain rose, he could not have telephoned her. Obviously, she had some reason for stating he did. Fordney was quick to detect the flaw in her alibi. Oh, that's so obvious. <laughs> See, I was looking at times. Like, I was looking at midnight and, you know, the whole thing with the plays and the taxi driver. I was looking at times, and the solution had to do with the timing of things, so I'm not going to give myself half a point, but I will give myself a pat on the back for being in the same ballpark as the solution. <laughs> oh, man. This week was very sad. Oh, I feel bad now. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I should give you guys your money back because I didn't actually get any of these logic puzzles right, but here we are. So yeah, that was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed these different logic puzzles. Even though I didn't get them right, I still had a lot of fun reading them and thinking about them and trying to analyze them. Even though I failed, it was still a good time, and I hope that you had a good time too. 
So this, these episodes come out every Thursday. And if you're interested, my regular podcast, which is obviously called Classic Mysteries, comes out every Monday. And right now I'm in the middle of reading a book called Bulldog Drummond. And it's actually really fun. It's like a hard-boiled action kind of thing. It's not strictly a mystery book, but regardless, it's a lot of fun and it's hilarious. Oh my goodness. So if you want to listen to that, go ahead. You can catch up. I would suggest starting from the first or second episode just so that you don't miss any context. But if you want something to listen to that's like already a finished series, obviously you can listen to all the shorter stories that I do that are like one or two parts. But if you want to listen to a full-on book, listen to Boston Blackie. Because first of all, it's a full book, so it's actually a you know pretty long series. But it's so funny and chaotic and insane. This book is just so insane. And the first episode, like, yeah, it's pretty funny. But then the next episodes and, like, the next and the next, and it goes on. Like, it just gets more insane. And, like, if you imagine an exponential curve, right? Like, that's kind of how the book goes. Like, it starts, you know, a little bit mellow, like, a little bit weird. And then it pretty quickly just goes straight up and just goes absolutely buck wild. (laughs) So, anyways, if you enjoy weird, random, mystery kind of books, enjoy Boston Blackie, but also listen to Bulldog Drummond because it's a lot of fun. And, you know, there are all those short stories in between that you can enjoy. So, again, if you've never listened to an episode of Classic Mysteries, I invite you to. They're a lot of fun. I just read the books and I comment on them and it's a good time. I make jokes about things that are a century old and it's so much fun. (laughs) But anyways, I just have a couple things to say. If you guys have any book recommendations or the logic puzzle recommendations or anything else you want to tell me, whether it be commentary or feedback or whatever, email it to me at classicmysteriespod at gmail.com. I should probably get a better way to communicate with you guys, but email is what I have right now, so I hope you guys use it. Uh, So yeah, that's in the show notes. And also, I don't plug this very often, but I have an Etsy shop. It's not really related to the podcast. I just think it's great. There's a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Uh, It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Anyways. I'll leave you to your lives. I hope you have a fun day, and I look forward to seeing you on Monday or on Thursday. Who knows when you'll listen to next. So anyways, have a wonderful week. See you guys next Thursday. Bye. (laughs) Goodness. Uh, I have not gotten a good sign-off figured out for this series yet. I should probably work on that. Bye. (laughs) Bye.